This is Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. I'm here today with Liz Kaplow. Liz, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. Let's start by just telling us what you do, what's your title, and a little bit about your job. Okay. I am founder and CEO of Kaplow Communications, which I founded actually 25 years ago. And... Oh gosh, my job, it's its always changing, but I would say that now really what I am doing is leading the charge and trying to set a vision for the folks here on how to stay relevant in the field of communications, how to keep moving our practice forward, and honestly helping young women um, make it through different stages of their career, make it through that mid-career time, and setting a good example so that there are role models for them to look to. You've had so much success. Let's go back and start at the beginning. If you can tell us almost step by step from your first experience that was essentially relevant to what you're doing now, and then the steps you took in your career to get where you are today. I think it goes back to being a liberal arts major in college and being an English major. And when I look back on that now compared to the way I see young people really plan and be so specific early on in their education, I'm grateful that I took that route because I think I learned to think critically and read and be curious about the world. And those are a lot of things that come into play in in my business every day. With that said, I got out of college and was sort of like, hmm, how do we turn this into something specific in terms of a career? And so from Vassar kind of sitting under a tree reading poetry and <laughs> thinking about those things to going to FIT to a one-year program in advertising and communications, that was really the moment where I understood about really what public relations was at the time and found that moment where I just, you know, I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. You graduated from a liberal arts school, and I think a lot of young women graduate with a major that they loved, but maybe very little direction about how to make money from that. Yes. How did you make the decision to go to the program at FIT? What were you looking for? What did you, you know, what were you thinking in terms of your next steps? Yes. So I was that lost person that you just described, Julie, in terms of coming out with that liberal arts education. And I was visiting my dad, who was a textile executive, and he was involved with FIT and helping them develop branches in, in actually in other countries. And there was a brochure on his desk all about FIT, which I really hadn't, you know, thought about before. And I looked at that and I saw that there was this course in advertising communications and it was the first time it was being given. This must have been early September and the course was starting, you know, in a week. (laughs) And I looked up at him and I said, should I try to get in? And he he said, he was always, you know, super supportive. He said, why don't you go down there, talk your way in? And it wasn't the first time I was talking my way into something. <laughs> so I, I got over there. I got to the head of that department and I said, you know, I know I'll be an asset. I, I have this background in writing and in literature and English major. I want to be able to hone in on this. And I somehow got into that course. And that was really when the lights went on about, you know, what it meant to be 
in a city and that where the professors were coming from industry and coming from the practice and really a very, very hands-on approach. And I think that that hands-on approach combined with the critical thinking was really looking back on it. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't planned, you know, that much ahead of time, but it was a very good balance for an education. And when you were in college or before that, did you even know PR was a job. I was also a PR major. You were? Yeah, and I feel like when I went to college, obviously I knew that products and people get promoted in some way, but I didn't yes. actually have any insight. And then when I learned about what PR was, I was like, oh, there's actually a business and a job yes. behind this. It's so fascinating. Did you know that before? Yes. I did not know that, and I agree with you. It was really a ready-made career for me in that there used to be a saying, and don't any anybody do this out there, but in an interview there were certain people that would say, I'm a people person. Right. And I would not say that, that that doesn't sound like you have depth, so it's not a good thing to say. But the truth is that for people who are people Persons, people, people. people. <laughs> uh, it is. It is a very good career. It it has to be combined with those other basic skills, and when you put it all together, the idea of getting enthusiastic about a brand's story, about a storyteller, a person who is excited about what they do, and helping to spread the word about that, which is in essence what we do in this practice, that is for a particular type. And you can't come to it as a wallflower, Mm -hmm. but you also need the substance. You have to be able to put your ideas across in a succinct way persuasive manner. And I think that those were things that I had strengths in. Where did you go next? After grad school, what was the trajectory to essentially starting your own business and being where you are today? So there were two things that happened. One was a very good internship at a very large PR firm. It was a very good internship. They were putting on events and I was helping to pull that together and get the media there. And all of that was great. I think it taught taught me that I didn't want to be in a big, super big place. And that was, you know, there are all good things to learn for people in their career, both about the job, but also about where you want to be, Mm -hmm. the type of firm, the people you're working with. So from there, I, I went to look for a smaller firm, and that was really how I got my start. And then in the interim, I had a little stint with a woman who FIT helped me get connected to. Her name was Estelle Ellis. She was having all of us busy clipping articles from the New York Times Mm. that she would stuff into this, or we would stuff into this big file cabinet, so that when her clients would come in, she would be able to tell them what's happening in the world. And it was really quite interesting, but the most memorable memorable part of that job was that when she would entertain her clients, she would have me do the dishes in the ladies' room. (laughs) That's disgusting. (laughs) It was disgusting. But what I remember about it was that you kind of have to do every job when you're starting out. And the good comes with the bad. And the fact that I did really all the things she needed me to do enabled her to I guess give me the time of day when it came to writing up one of those trend reports. And that was a break. You know, some of the things that we're going to be doing we won't love, 
but do them, you know, be willing to sort of roll up sleeves. There'll be something to learn, but you'll be impressing the people around you with a can-do spirit. And that power of yes is something that helps to find your career ultimately. Yeah, and I think a lot of success comes from never being too good for anything. <laughs> it's like, I'm I just... I agree. You're just not too good for it. And eventually you won't be asked to do those things anymore. But even, you know, I'm sure you see this as a business owner. I'm a business owner. There are things some days where I'm like, I can't believe I'm the one in the yes. trenches doing this after all this time. But like, it's got to get done and exactly. I don't have time to be proud about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And that sort of puts a good energy out there about you as a person. And then I think people pick up on that. So willing to work hard yes, no matter what. Exactly. And how did you start your own business? What's the yes. story behind Caplo? It's so incredibly successful. You're Thank big you. in multiple cities now, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. We're here on 44th Street. We've been here for many, many years. It started out of the fact, I mean, I loved agency life. I had little kids. And in those in those times, there really was limited technology or access to things that would make a flexible workplace. And so, you know, agency life is working around the clock. And as I progressed in that life, it was a challenge, frankly, to be able to be there for the kids, be able to figure out to have an end in the day. And so I started the agency out of a need, frankly, to have more flexibility to be in more in control of the calendar and that was really how it started and I was you know with one agency for many many years and then uh, a client who we had been with before I had worked with years and years before who was no longer with that agency came to me and said you know would you do some work for for us and you know it wasn't like these times there you know it, it wasn't there there were no freelancers there mm-hmm. weren't really consultants i didn't have anybody in my family who was an entrepreneur or a small business owner so for me i was trying to look around to see what role models who i could follow and what i did i called the owner of the agency where I really had grown up. And I opened up to her about it. And even then, I think I recognized that relationships are at the heart of everything, and it would always be important to respect that. And she encouraged me. And that was really how it started. And uh, just like you said, Julie, I rolled up my sleeves. Mm -hmm. I did everything. And this building that we're sitting in today on 44th Street, I remember when the first client was coming in, and we, we just wanted the place to look so good and kind of had this idea of doing like interesting color on the mm-hmm. walls. And so one wall was green and the other wall was this eggplant color. And no sooner, I think we were putting the flowers out on the table while the client was coming <laughs> up into the building or trying to make it look like. But what I realized is that as long as you're good and as long as they see that you're going to try for them, they will invest with you. And that's kind of what happened with us in those early days. Here at Capital Communications, I know that you really allow for flexibility for women and men to have flexible work schedules so they can have families, so they can have lives. What are the values behind it? How have you made this possible? I think a lot of companies want to do it and aren't actually getting it done. So how have you had so much success with this? So starting the business many years ago out of the idea of trying to raise kids, needing more flexibility, and then having grown 
kids now, you know, I have a daughter who's 29, another one who's 25. And I believe that I can identify with the the plight, if you will, of women who are trying to be there for their families, men as well, and also sustain a long and very full career. And that is why, you know, some of these issues we're seeing all over, no matter the industry, where women especially are still dropping out in big numbers in mid-career. They're off-ramping. Sometimes they can find their way back in. Sometimes they don't. And we all know that every industry is striving for women to get into those coveted leadership positions. So we can all just do our own part in our own way. And I figure if we can keep moms, dads, folks in the workplace where they can see a good career development path in front of them, that will make a richer place here for others and for our clients. And so that's what we've tried to do over the years concentrated on it more, I would say, over the last five years or so. And what we've seen is that people who were starting here have stayed. And that's that's a great thing because I believe we're all after retention. And people hop around so much. And it's hit me that one of the reasons that people have stayed is because they have this little give in the workplace. They know that if they can have just a bit of flexibility, it will go such a long way. And what we've seen, you know, of if a mom, for example, she will, she will want to make that 5.30 train, then, you know, she'll, she'll do what she needs to do to be there with her family, but she'll hop back on and she'll take care of what she needs to. We see people covering for each other um, in big ways where they know that the other will do it for the next person. And so it becomes institutionalized behavior as a result, and it builds the culture. And then what is starting to happen, which I feel really good about, is that we be sort of becoming known for a place that can keep people here, that can attract talent and moms and dads and people of diverse thinking and all different kinds of folks uh, will will want to come into the practice and see you know, a good future ahead of them. What advice would you give to a manager about letting their employees have, you know, some kind of flexibility? I think it's very, very hard sometimes to let go and trust people. I mean, you should trust your employees, but we know the reality is often, like, that a manager might want to try to control it a little bit, you know, through schedules or through when you're going to be offline, when you're going to be online. What advice would you give to a boss who wants to kind of make their company or their team a little bit more flexible? Yes. I believe in over-communication. So setting up a schedule, being very open and direct about what the week ahead looks like. You know, sometimes it, it can get a little chaotic when I look at my email on Friday and see, who's going to be where, when, and what's happening. Um, And I try to imagine someone, you know, taking a call, like in front of Whole Foods with three kids hanging onto their leg or whatever they're doing. But all of it somehow works. And if you have that open mind about the flexibility coupled with good preparation and over-communication so that people can be reliable, fill in for each other, you know, I believe that managers can really promote the idea. And how do you manage your own schedule? Because you really have all the flexibility in the world. I mean, essentially, you're the boss and you kind of 
maybe have all the flexibility and none of it because you need to work with everyone else's schedules. How do you manage your own? How do you fit in free time, vacation? Yes. You know, how do you keep yourself yes. sane? <laughs> yes. And I've done well at this at points and not well at other points. And I think one of the first rules about this is not to beat ourselves up. There will be times and there have been many times where I feel like I've gone underground to be a part of something where I haven't emerged. And that is just kind of what different points in our career are going to do. And we're going to have to pay attention to the thing that's the most important. And we won't feel that sense of owning our calendar during those times. With that said, I have learned a couple of important things. It is easy to get lost in email. It's easy to get lost in letting our calendars dictate our lives. And what I've tried to do is shift that idea so that I am sort of in charge of the calendar. Think how great that would be, Julie, (laughs) if we were in charge of the calendars. And what that really means is kind of looking ahead at the week and looking at what are the goals for the week? What are the areas that we very much want to be in control of? Maybe there are three things and we make sure that that happens. Another thing that I've tried to do with the calendar is look at when I'm at my best. Um, An interesting idea that some of us just don't always pay attention to, I being one of those people, (laughs) meaning that sometimes I was looking at documents and editing and all those things at 4 o'clock, which is really a time that I should be taking a nap, even though I'm not. (laughs) So in the morning now, I know I'm a morning person, I'm clear, I look at you know, documents, editing, you know, important emails to return, seeing somebody, uh, making that important phone call. So look at your ebbs and flows and just the way that you work best. And then last, I would say, whatever will help you sustain your energy. And for everybody is different in that. You know, my mother is this amazing artist. And my whole life, since I was a little girl, I have always known that she has needed to paint in order to be happy. Mm -hmm. And that's just always been what she does. And, you know, she's 90 years old. And to tell you the truth, she's still doing that. And and it enriches her life and, and everybody else's, frankly, who's in her world. For me, it's exercise. I don't get enough of it probably, but I am certain to get some key exercise in. And I've sort of discovered Pilates, and I am not naturally adept at it, but I have stuck (laughs) with it. And I have a teacher who's very, you know, strict, I would say, and I've learned the right way. And so a couple of days a week, I go very early in the morning, and that has set me in the right direction for the week. And so I would say whatever it is for you that will give you that ability to feel on top of your game and on top of your calendar. It's really interesting because the conversation of self-care, which is essentially what you're talking about, has like, I know we talk about it and often as women we bring it up, but it almost is completely left out of the conversation of career. Like they almost live in parallel things in our life and I think you're 100% right if you're not taking care of yourself you just don't have the right energy you're not putting out the right energy taking in the right energy not to get too in the clouds about it but it's really I think that's really true and and taking control of your schedule also I would say very few people do that right and I think you're right you have to do it like you you have have to. to you'll go crazy you have to and you can literally get lost and then it's the end of the day right 
and the emails took you to all of these places. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and we, again, we, I, we all are going to have to figure out how to manage the amount of, you know, sort of incoming messages mm-hmm. to still read what's important. Again, you can take that idea of being in control of the calendar and take it to what we read about, what we right. look at with the media, who we're meeting with. It's again being in charge of those decisions. Yep. Yeah, I started recently, every Friday, I sit down and I just like go day by day of the next week Great. and confirm meetings and delete things that are old and just yeah. because otherwise what I was finding is every day is almost like a panic of yeah. what am I doing today, yeah. who am I meeting with, oh this wasn't confirmed, Great. you know, I think that... Julie, that is why you were such a success. Uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a recent win. That's something it took me only many, many years yes. to learn. I'd love to talk about emotions in the yes. workplace. Yes. I think this, it can be a woman-specific issue, although it's not necessarily, but I think women get yes. a little more focused or you know, get involved in this whole issue of how you know how many of your emotions can you show yes. in the workplace is it okay to cry in the workplace yes. how should you respond if you're you know treated inappropriately you yelled at or you're just upset about something yes. and it's not even if it's yeah. not a big deal but you're yes. just upset yes. so what are your thoughts on it what maybe is some of your advice about how to handle yes. you know emotions in the yes. workplace well the first thing i would say is that we're people We are not technology, and that's what makes us interesting and nuanced and diverse, and that's a great thing. Sometimes our emotions get the better of us, and the trick is to be able to turn that into something that keeps us in the game. And I believe, at the end of the day, that the biggest key to success is bouncing back. And that resiliency comes in many different ways and we have to find what works best for ourselves and know that you know if we hear some feedback that makes us feel very bad sometimes you need to go into the ladies room and give a good cry the important part of it is not the cry it's about how we come back into the room Mm -hmm. after a very finite period of time we're not allowed to go and cry for the day we're allowed to go and cry for a few minutes. And then we have to get into solution mode and think about what we can bring that in some way is gonna affect change for the better and help us move along. It could be walking around the block and just breathing in fresh air. It could be calling a friend, and that may not be someone who's connected to the situation. In fact, it's better, actually, Mm -hmm. if it's not someone connected to the situation, because that's how office politics starts, and that's how these kind of, you know, in-house political situations start to rise. Call somebody you went to summer camp with when you were nine (laughs) years old. Actually, I do that thing. (laughs) And she has the best sense, and, you know, I've met her. Her up the, we're equidistant to where we work, so we'll like, sit down for a half hour and vent. And then the important part, again, is how we go back in. So we have to find for ourselves a way to manage these emotions, not to swallow them, because many times we need to get it out of our systems. But the key is how we're moving on, how we're bouncing back, and we need to do that in a very sort of practical and realistic way, and we need to be businesslike about it. People are watching the way we handle ourselves, which is also very, very important. As you're coming back, 
look at how you're presenting yourself mm-hmm. as you come back in. Nobody likes a sore loser. So remember that if you it wasn't a win-win and you did lose the point, you know, look at how you can do better next time. If there was a mistake that was made, you got feedback, look at what you can learn from that mistake. All of it is not going to be a smooth road, but where you reach success is if you can stay on that road and come back from those bumps along the way. Liz and I, we've known each other for a while. Yes. I've known you for a while. That's lucky for me. <laughs> That's lucky for me. Thank you. <laughs> this is such a joy. And you always look put together oh, and great. So you always nice you have say. a great outfit on, have, you know, your hair looks good, your makeup's done. And not from like a shallow perspective, even in terms of appearances, but from a time perspective and an yes. energy perspective. You know, I also own my own business. I many days wake up and I'm like, throw on, you know, my comfies so that I don't have to think about it and like go to the office. If I'm not meeting with clients or other people, where do you find the energy to do hair and makeup every day? And, you know, what does it mean to you in terms of your business and how you're putting yourself out there? First of all, it's very nice of you to say. I mean it. I think the other day when I looked down and I saw that I had two different shoes on, (laughs) I would be able to prove you wrong, but it's very nice of you to say that. It's not uncommon Uh, as a business owner to wear two different shoes, two different earrings. What's going on with that? But here's what I would say. You know, I kind of grew up in public relations at a time where you had to get dressed up Mm -hmm. every day and really make sure that... You had on a suit. Mm-hmm. And when I first started, I'm trying not to date myself, but, you know, there weren't even boots that were allowed. It had to be pumps and it had to... And, but what happened for me was less about the dress code, but more was this sort of cue that that looking pulled together gives me for myself. I don't know what other phrase to say other than getting into part. Mm -hmm. That's the way I would say it to you. So if you look at what good actors do when they're trying to think about that character and they use their, you know, wardrobe person to help give them that sort of self-actualization about getting into part, I guess it's kind of the same with me a Mm -hmm. little bit. So I have always loved accessories. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not as much in, I like clothes, but I have found, for example, that putting on, you know, a great cuff Mm -hmm. can give me, you know, a little bit of confidence. And so for me, that's been a little bit of self-expression that helps me with my day. Now, this is the interesting part. I don't know that that is true of the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know that that's completely valid here at Caplow anymore because what we did pretty recently is we were convinced to change the dress code. It was a heartbreaker. <laughs> I mean, for me to stand up, actually, I didn't stand up. Somebody else stood up because <laughs> I couldn't do say it. it. <laughs> and to be able to, you know, hear that jeans are going to be okay and that it's fine to wear sneakers as long as, you know, they're not ripped and whatnot. You know, I had to do a little soul-searching on this in all seriousness because I wasn't sure that that was really the right thing. Here's where I came to on this. People work in different ways, Mm -hmm. and they are trying to do everything that you said, and they're hopping on the subway and then going to the gym, and they're doing this and that, and they don't necessarily need those cues back Mm -hmm. to themselves that I was describing before. So I'm okay with that. I do believe that it is always important to think about your audience. Mm -hmm. For those out there who are, you're with the client, you're with going to an interview, think about always 
paying a little more attention to that and then to up your game I always think so that there's a feeling of being polished in the room that would would be my advice but as far as I go I don't spend too much time on it I've learned to really keep it very simple I will always have that good cuff for pure viewings <laughs> to give me. Um, I've learned that now that I'm trying to do more things like exercise and whatnot I've just really got to keep that routine very, very simple. Mm -hmm. And it comes back also to trusting your employees, meaning you trust that they are going to dress appropriately yes. in the appropriate situation. By the way, situation. you look very, oh, very you. nice. I'm looking <laughs> at you with the beautiful skirt and the booties. I mean, I can do yes, it. you have done it very but well. But I just, yeah. like, if I, and kind of to your point, like, if I have a busy day, you know, I'll work out, shower, throw my hair in a ponytail, yes. no makeup, and run to the office because yes. if I don't have a meeting, that hour it might take me to get ready. I'm very slow. Is you know I'd rather be working exactly, but you know if I have an important meeting, I will yes. forego work for two hours in the morning to make sure that I have the outfit and yes. the makeup and everything. I think you know it really is about just trusting that people will your employees will know if they have an important meeting they're going to dress yes appropriately exactly. exactly, and it obviously depends on the work you know on the, on the place that you work. I think to your point. It's changing rapidly, though. You know, yes. I work from a WeWork, so we, there's all different companies in exactly. there. Exactly. And the, most people are very casual. Exactly. They very, are. Very casual. They really are. And it was funny, after the announcement, the next day, everyone had on jeans. <laughs> and everyone had, couldn't wait to sort of do their... So I'm getting there, Julie. I'm, Have I'm, you worn got, jeans to well, work I'm yet? I'm working it out. Let's just say that. Soon enough... I'm going to give it a go. I want a picture. I don't the know day. how it's going to come out, but I'm going to try. Have you never worn jeans to the office? No, on Fridays I've okay. worn jeans because Friday has always casual. been more casual. So I, I'm kidding when I say I haven't done it. <laughs> I, I like the idea. It's a work in progress, but I, I, I'm getting there. Have you ever worn shorts to the office? No. Okay. Shorts I knew that are was not be. part of this dress code change. <laughs> what was the dress code before? So no jeans during the week. Are you allowed yes, to share? Yes, I mean, I think it was transitioning to black pants and black jeans and sort of looking a little more tailored. Yep. And now we came right out and said, you know, you can wear jeans, no rips on them. Right. Um, and people are trying to do it in a more professional way. Right. I love it's it. It's fun for them. It's a real example, though, of like workplace culture actively it shifting. It really is. Like, it really is. People are just more casual now. And in order to stay relevant, we have to look at the way people are working. I love that. I'd love to talk about mentoring. Yes. This show is part of New York Women in Communications. Yes. We have a mentoring program, which I would encourage everyone to get involved in. It's fabulous. I know you've been a mentor and a mentee all your life. What are some of your top mentoring stories and tips? Yes. It's funny you ask me that because I was communicating with my mentor this morning, mm. mentoring should be a way of life on both sides. I think that there are some people that have done brilliantly who haven't had a sort of defined mentor, but they've worked in a collaborative way, in a generous way. And what that really means is spending the day thinking about being a generous sort of builder of ideas, being a good sounding board for someone who comes to see you, not feeling like you have to formalize it, mm -hmm. that, you know, you, again, have that specific mentor, but throughout your day, think about all the things that it mean, that you get from mentoring. You get sound advice, that mentor can be a confidence builder, so sort of look for people in your life who can do that for you on a daily basis and who you can do that for. You know, there was a piece in the Times 
actually by the Dalai Lama. And he talked about the study of people who have aged very, very well and having a life of some sort of service or giving back as a way of life actually helps with the aging process. And it it was so fascinating. So building that in and building in the tenets of New York Women in Communications, which really at its core is about supporting women at every stage of their career and remembering that women starting out need that support and they need the role models and to be able to see somebody out there who kind of sounds like their story or, or is relatable to something they're going through. And that very thing will be the thing that buoys them on. And it's the same thing with women at mid-career, which I'm just bullish about because when I see those numbers of women who have dropped out and then struggle so to get back in, some of them are unable to, some of them do find their way in a, in a different way. But think how if they were able to find someone who was going through that but managed to stay in the game and they could be mentored around that story that would help them through. And then what's really very, very interesting and what I'm relating to right now is the idea of being more mature in your career and actually being mentored and learning things from the next generation who's coming into the fold. And that is what keeps people relevant because you're learning from women who have all kinds of new skill sets and ideas and ways of thinking about things. And we have to take the time to celebrate them and to listen to them. We'll learn from them and it will make us actually be able to, you know, be relevant and have a longer career as a result. You've probably had many bosses in your life before you started your own business, right? Yes. What is some advice you have for approaching your boss and telling them, that you're ready to take the next step. It could be within the company or it might be elsewhere that you are ready to leave. What are some tips you would give for someone who's ready to take that step? You know, when you're thinking about preparing to go in to speak to a manager or a boss, there is always some angst around it because you're thinking, how do I go in and get what I want? And, you know, I I don't want to sound to follow myself, I don't want to sound, I don't want to be off-putting and whatnot, I would sort of take a step back and change that way of thinking a little bit and sort of rethink it to be much more about what I call the win-win. And the win-win came from actually my dad, who was an amazing sort of soft salesman, and that meant that he wasn't a big, heavy promoter, but he sort of helped you feel good as you were buying something from him. (laughs) So an example of this is, you know, I would travel with him. I love to watch him get a new car. And I remember going with him to negotiate with a car salesman and who could be a better salesperson than a car salesman for the next car. And I knew there were certain features that my dad wanted. But I think that he was also aware that the car salesman needed to feel good and needed to feel that he that he scored, that he got, you know, that he made a sale. (laughs) And so watching the two of them together was really quite interesting because I knew that my father wanted, let's say, you know, the air conditioning and this color and whatnot. And again, the guy wanted to make a sale. So by the end, 
they came to a good compromise, and I think that both sides felt good. And my dad walked the salesman over to the manager, or the car dealer, and he said, you know, you should feel really great about Jim, about this guy, because what an incredible salesman he is. And I am so excited to drive, you know, this Chevy out <laughs> of the parking lot and, and go, and I'm going to get my kid an ice cream cone and whatnot. And I think what I learned from that is... Every, every negotiation, every time you go into something, you have to try to see it as a win-win. It won't always be, but if you win at the expense of someone feeling that they've lost or they've given everything away, it will be, it will be not as great a win. It won't, you won't be left with a great feeling. So in thinking and getting this mindset to go in, think about first showing your manager or whatnot your enthusiasm for the place that you're working because that will right off the bat make that manager feel your loyalty and your respect and your trust and then you can talk about some of your passion for being there some of your accomplishments you can talk about how you really want to grow with the organization and then you can go into describing this role that you want, this project that you want to do, growing out of that notion of the enthusiasm that you feel. And what you'll be doing is you'll be getting your manager to feel like you are an asset and that they have contributed to that and that they are contributing to your growth. And I would guess most people go into that situation not thinking about their boss or the company. I mean, that's of course, right. it's natural. You're thinking about yourself because yes. that's what you're trying to, you know, that's who you're trying to help. But it's such good advice to think about a big picture because yes. everyone wants to feel like they're doing a good job exactly. and that they kind of have a choice in the matter. You know, everyone wants to be yes. feeling that. So exactly. to make it feel like a conversation, even if you're going in there being like, I know what I'm going to say and there's no there's really no room for negotiation yes. in terms of if I don't get this raise, I'm leaving, or yeah. you know, I have yeah. this new job offer. But it really is about making everyone feel good. It is, and I believe good managers want to feel responsible for the growth mm -hmm. of their people. And that more and more companies, I believe, are tasking managers to be able to say, you know, to retain great people, how to, you know, look at it when someone comes to you as a positive. Right. Because that's really saying that they want to stay, they want to grow. Manager, you've done a great job with me, so right. now you've prepared me for my next thing. So I think there are ways to turn it. Right, instead of just giving your notice and leaving, yes. like actually having a conversation. That's the way I've always tried to look at it when it's someone huge. comes to me. I really do. I try to look at it that way. Sometimes it's not easy, but, you know. <laughs> Speaking of interviews, so you probably haven't had a job interview in right. 20 years. Yes. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> it is true. We're interviewed all the time for a new business. Right. And that oh, yeah. would be the closest way, Julie, to think about constantly being up for something and ha you know have to try to prove ourselves to get an assignment so in that sense I can relate so we like to ask our guests because most of our guests mm. have not interviewed yes. for a job at a long time in a long time sure um, we like to ask them kind of the typical questions that you get in an interview that yes. you might think are pretty silly or don't have anything yeah. to do with the job and hear what they have to say, what how yes. you would interview for a new job now all these years. Exactly. <laughs> so the question is, what is your biggest weakness? That is an annoying question, isn't I it? I try not to ask it because I, I would 
say that my biggest weakness is sometimes taking it to heart so much and then having trouble turning it off. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that that all of that energy and that caring and the enthusiasm is so powerful. And I want women and men to have that. With that said, it is important to be able to turn that off and to sometimes you know, be in other places having nothing to do with the workplace to help your mind rest, to help get new ideas, to look at trends that are happening, to talk to people. So that sometimes I can be guilty of. And that is what I'm trying very hard to do now mm-hmm. is to remember that so that I can gain things from the outside to pull back in. And where do you see yourself five years from now? That's another good one. Another yes, interview that's question. another one. Um, you know, I have not been very formal in predicting where I would be. And if there's just some advice that I can give, I see a lot of young people coming in wanting to be so certain about their next steps, about what they what they're gonna do in five years, what they're gonna where they're gonna be in twenty years. Right. And the only thing that I would say about this is, you know, it's good to have a sense of where you wanna be and that's where relevancy comes in and there's no greater field than communications that needs that that mindset more about the changes and that's what we've tried to do here at Caplo to, you know, really look forward and be thinking about, you know, what will the future bring and be prepared for those changes. With that said, sometimes I believe it takes you away from the present. And when you're really in the present, that's when you can look for the opportunities and the signs. And sometimes that that flexibility allows you to see what you like, what you don't like, what you're Mm -hmm. strong at and gets you to that other place. So while I think it's good to have sort of a flexible long-term vision, I believe that it's even better to be in the moment mm-hmm. and look at the signs along the way. That's great. I think it's I think especially in this industry where things are just constantly changing. Yes. You've no idea. I mean... Did you know you, know you would end up where you are right now? <laughs> this wasn't and even a it, thing, right? right? So <laughs> if you hadn't have been flexible, you may, you know, and said, oh, I need to do whatever it is I'm doing and whatnot. So that open mindset is absolutely critical right now. Liz, thank you so much for being here. This was such an incredible conversation. I learned so much. I know our listeners learned so much. There was great career advice. If you want to learn more about Liz, follow along with her, you can follow the Twitter and Instagram handle for Caplo Communications. It's the same for both. It's at Caplo.com with two M's. So it's at K-A-P-L-O-W-C-O-M-M. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And the company is tweeting and posting pictures on Instagram about what's going on here, what's happening with Liz, and what's happening with the employees. And if you want more information about this show, you can follow New York Women in Communication on Twitter. It's at NYWICI, at NYWiki on Twitter. You can also find all episodes of this podcast on the New York Women in Communication website. There's a page at nywici.org slash podcast, and all new episodes will be posted there. Thanks again to Liz, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. 
Thank you to our amazing team. Our producers, Kylie Harris, Chelsea Orcutt, and Chrisanne Grise. Our editors, Aaron Mathewson and Chelsea Orcutt. Rachel Bowie manages marketing. Alex Fetter wrote the theme. Additional recording and editing has been done at Stoosh Studios with the help of Steve Francis. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to nywici.org slash podcast. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser-Ilkovich. Thank you for listening.